when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Let's pray together. Our God in heaven, we want to hear. We want to endure and we want to live. Give us ears to hear these opening teachings of Jesus. Give us eyes to see so that we may endure and give us hearts that we might actually live the abundant life that you continually promise to us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Before we hear the words of Jesus, Matthew set up, so we're going to set up a little bit more too. When I was in high school, a song came out that uh, most of us found fairly intriguing, got our attention. It was by a little band out of Atlanta called R.E.M. that nobody had ever heard of at the time. And, uh, the, the song is called, It's the End of the World as We Know It, and I Feel Fine. So I graduated from high school in 1990, and one of my best friends graduated in 1989, right before me. And every year, they would hand out sheets to us where you voted for, you know, like all kinds of really important things, like the person, you know, who did whatever, prettiest girl, and all that. And then, class song. So my friend Allison wrote in for the class song, it's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. And I'm like, why? Why'd you pick that song? And she's like, well, think about it. This is high school. This is our entire world. Everything we know is this, and it's... Coming to an end now. We're about to go on to something else. And I thought, ah, that's good. Didn't work. Didn't, wasn't her class song. So I thought, all right, second chance. Came to me. About to graduate from high school. Get the sheet. Write down class song. It's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine. I even told friends, like I was campaigning. Like, we've got to have this as our class song. And you know what our class song was? Wind Beneath My Wings. I went to South Grand Prairie High School. Wasn't nobody there, the wind beneath my wings. <laughs> Did not happen. So it didn't work, but that song has stuck with me through the years. Last week, the collection of atomic scientists, I don't think that's their official name, but that's what they do, moved the doomsday clock ahead. Y'all read about this? Apparently, we're 90 seconds closer, or 30 seconds, whatever that means, to, like, this is it, it's the end. This is the end of the world. A lot of it's because of what's going on in the Ukraine and Russia and all this stuff going on around the world, but I looked around the world that we live in, and man, every time it turned on the news. I mean, as of last night, there were three mass shootings just in California over the last week. 
what in the world is going on in the world we live in? I'm going to tell you a story, and I'm going to tell it as though it was mine. The punchline is not mine, but the rest of the story is. Because when I heard him, this guy, tell the story, I don't even remember what the context was. It could have been a commencement speech. I don't know exactly. I don't remember. I just remember the punchline sticking with me. But he's my age, and so he was telling the story, and I was like, oh, I remember when that happened. I remember when that happened. So it's his punchline, my story. There's the setup. Come with me back to elementary school. So I'm in elementary school, sitting in class, and every time you walked in from recess and there was a projector in the middle of the class, it's like, oh, this is going to be the best. It was usually like some poorly filmed 30-minute documentary about a dung beetle. But it was something to watch, and it was cool getting to hear the, you know, the reels go through, and then it would mess up, and you know, the teacher would try to mess with the, the reel, and it would take up an extra 15 minutes in class, which I just loved because I'd pull out a book and start reading. It was entertaining. Well, by the time middle school hit, they got rid of the, you know, the, the real film, and they would wheel in TVs with a VCR. It was by the time I got to middle school, high school, and let me tell you, back this is mid-1980s, VCRs were a big deal back then. You remember? Those of you remember? If you don't remember, you're the ones I'm going to talk to. Anyway, roll in and sets up the TV. It's 1986, I think, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was 1986. Wheels in the TV, turns on the TV. It's connected to a cable. We're going to watch the space shuttle take off. Oh, cool. Cool. So we sit there, and, you know, they do the countdown, and I think I was in eighth grade. They're doing the countdown. Of course, we're eighth graders. They're doing the you know, T minus 30, and they get to 15. Of course, we're middle schoolers. We're shouting, you know, 10, 9. We're shouting with it and everything. And then, you know, the engines roar. This thing starts moving up, and it was chilling, you know, to watch that. This was still during the Cold War. And you think about this, it wasn't that long after the Apollo missions. I mean, this was still really major deal. So it's going up into the sky, and we're all sitting there watching it. The teacher is about to go up to the TV and turn it off and go on with the class. And it blew up right there on TV with a teacher on board right there in front of us. She sat back down. And all of us just stared at the TV. Nobody knew what to say. So then she turns it off, and she looks at us, and she walked out of the room. She walked out of the classroom. And we're all just sitting there looking at each other like, well, what do we do? And she came back inside the classroom. I guess that she had conferred with other teachers and the principal. She came back into the classroom, and a guy I heard told this story, said this exact same thing. I guess it was just a universal moment. 
She came back in the classroom. She looked at all of us and she said, y'all can go home. So we gathered up our things, went to our lockers, stuffed our stuff in the lockers, and we went home that day. Every single day, when we open our Google News feed, turn on the TV, whatever it is, we are living in a different world. The punchline of the speech that I heard who told that same story when he was in school started addressing younger people, people still in their teens, 20s, and 30s. And said, the thing is, because of all of this information that we have and all the things that we are going through, every single day the space shuttle blows up. We live in a world where every single day it blows up. And it's making us desensitized and it's making us not care anymore. Because we turn on the TV, something happens, a mass shooting where people get shot to death. Police are killing people in the streets. We look at the news and we're like, well, it's Wednesday. And maybe REM was way too ahead of their time. The song we should be playing now is It's the End of the World as We Know It but I don't feel fine. But then something occurred to me as I was writing this, thinking through this, I've been writing this for a few weeks now, and this is what occurred to me. All of this is happening. All of these things that we are going through, this new world that we are living in, all of this is going on right now during the season after the epiphany. Now, those of us who did not grow up in liturgical traditions don't probably quite know what all that means. So let me tell you, epiphany and the weeks thereafter are all about one big thing. It's a season of light. It's a season where a world of darkness is transformed by the power of light. That God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. That's the world that all of these things are happening in. It's still a season of light. A few weeks ago, I walked in here on a Sunday morning, early, early, early before y'all got here. Okay, Walk in the room and this is what I saw. Standing back there in the back, the sun, as the sun comes up in here, it, it's so bright, in fact, if you're standing down here, you can't keep your eyes open. There's something about this being kind of a big dark room with the lights off, and when the sun comes in, you cannot look at that back window. That's how bright it is. And this 
for all these weeks that I've been thinking about these very things and the Beatitudes of Jesus that we're about to read, this became a metaphor for the entirety of existence. That even in a room, have you ever been, have you ever been in a church building by yourself at night? Let me tell you, it, it's kind of a creepy place sometimes. You can get kind of creepy in here whenever there's nobody around because it's such a big building. This is such a huge room. So I walk in here, it's dark in the hallway, it's dark whenever I first open the door, and then there's just this massive wave of light. Then a few weeks ago, um, again, it was morning. I walk in here in this room by myself in the building, Sometimes before I start writing, reading, getting into my day, I'll come in here. I'll just come in this room, and this is what I saw. The light had moved, and there was something, I'm telling you, there was something about seeing the light come in those windows over there on a super bright, sunny day. It didn't make me say, everything's going to be all right. It did make me think to myself, God is with us. We're here, living in this world as it is, and God is with us. Which brings us now to where we left off at the beginning, where Jesus stood up and taught them, saying, Matthew 5 is the opening of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This sermon that Jesus preached is for all intents and purposes in the New Testament and where we begin. This is where we begin the teachings of Jesus. There are things that happen to Jesus. There are things that Jesus says before the Sermon on the Mount. But this is where, despite where you know Mark comes first and then Matthew and Luke, where is John and all of this, this right here, the Sermon on the Mount, this is where we open and we start hearing the teachings of Jesus, the first things that Jesus says to us. Not things happening to him, but as though he were standing right here today and says, say the first thing. Here's the first thing that Jesus tells us, the very first thing. And it goes like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You live long enough, there are going to be moments where you feel poor in spirit. A lot of times when we read the Beatitudes and these that are to come, the question is, is this descriptive or is it prescriptive. In other words, is this describing what already is or is this saying, well, this is what we are supposed to be? Good question. You ever feel poor in spirit? Okay. So bring that to God. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. And then, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Well, Jesus, didn't you just say that? 
in as many words, isn't that the same thing? Hmm? Depends on what you're going through, I guess, at a given moment. But there again, live long enough, you're going to have the opportunity to mourn. You will experience loss. You may be poor in spirit. You may mourn. What Jesus hands us right now is the opportunity to say, we cannot control the things that are handed to us that may leave us poor in spirit or give us the opportunity to mourn. What we can do is react to those things together. How do we react? Yours is the kingdom of heaven, and you will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now this one's fun, because I've heard this one all through the years of, well, what does meek mean? Well, meek means power under control. Power means this. No, it doesn't. Meek means meek. Meek means like, you know, meek, right? Kind of quiet, gentle. I looked this up in the dictionary just for fun for this sermon to see what it said, and it said things like that, gentle, quiet, easily imposed upon. Ugh, you would be easily imposed upon. But, you know, Jesus, not too long after this, is the one who said, uh, you know, the business about turning the other cheek. I'm not telling you how to react to situations. I'm saying if you ever find yourself in a situation where you are the quiet one, or you are the gentle one, or you are the one being imposed upon, there's more to this than meets the eye. This may also be you are the ones, we are the ones, the meek ones, who are also responsible for the earth. Not inherit the earth as though it's some sort of inheritance where we get all the spoils. What if inherit the earth also means that we're the ones who are responsible for taking care of it? Because quite frankly, we haven't done a very good job of that. Just like we don't do a very good job of letting God comfort us when we mourn. Just like we don't always accept the kingdom of heaven when we are poor in spirit. you poor in spirit, kingdom of heaven is being handed to you. Do you ever mourn? You are being comforted by God, even in this place, by those who are around you. And as far as the meek go, the earth and all that that means. Then these... Okay, go Haley. I knew this thing was going to go out. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Do you wake up every morning thinking to yourself, I am so hungry and thirsty for the righteousness of God? If not, try it tomorrow morning. We're so bombarded by all these things around us all the time everything, everywhere, all at once, that we can't keep up with anything. We can't keep up with hardly anything. So, wake up tomorrow morning. I'm hungry, thirsty for the righteousness of God. You know what Jesus said? You'll be filled. Next. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. The passage that we read earlier in this worship service out of Micah says something about that. Justice, loving this, doing mercy. I think that one speaks for itself. Next. Nope. Back one. Okay. All right. We're going to get a new one. Okay. Next one. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Hard to be pure in heart these days. But you came to the right place today. Because most of us who are here today have that as our heart's desire. To be pure in heart as God makes us and as we share together. And then we get to see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. You are daughters of God. You are sons of God. You are children of God. Our duty today is to take seriously everything that it might mean to be people who cultivate peace with one another. And then there's at least two, maybe three, at the end that all have to do with the same thing. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I've been reading that particular set of verses, what's called the Beatitudes, seriously for the last 30 years, and I think that I've finally figured it out. It's taken this long. I think I've figured it out. Now, ask me next year, and I'll be like, ah, I didn't have it. But I think today, at least for today, I think I've figured this one out. What does it mean to be persecuted for righteousness' sake? What does that mean? Because that gets interpreted all kinds of different ways. Well, we don't live in a world where we're being arrested and carted off and jail. I get that, okay? But there's a number of different ways that you might be persecuted. So let me give you this to at least think about with what I've got figured out today. And please understand that that's temporary. I think this whole persecuted for righteousness sake starts when you start hungering and thirsting for righteousness. That that becomes who you are. Because right after Jesus says that, I think he says, and here's what it looks like to hunger and thirst for righteousness. You are a person of mercy. When you could dish out not mercy, you could dish out judgment, but instead you dish out mercy. You cultivate what it means to be pure in heart, and it is the desire of your heart. And you look for opportunities to make peace in your own life and in the lives of others. And you do that, you show mercy all the time, everywhere, and everything that you do, 
I promise you, before long, people are going to say, she went soft. You start cultivating pure in heart, and that be your thing, people may start saying, he's a hypocrite. And you start trying to make peace with people who don't want to make peace. <laughs> don't have to tell you. You're going to hear about it. Is that persecution for righteousness' sake? I don't know, maybe. But it's worth our time. And one more thing about this, this whole set. The first one starts, is the kingdom of heaven, and the last one says, is the kingdom of heaven. All the other ones are, will be, for they will be comforted, for they will be called children of God. I don't know what to make of that. I just thought it was interesting and that you might want to know that. What does this come down to? I think what it comes down to is from another place, from Jesus and from the rest of the New Testament, about walking in the light. This could be the end of the world as we know it. The world is ever-changing. And at the same time, the world kind of stays the same, no matter what happens. Both of those things being true, keep going. Because when we talk about endurance, what we are enduring in is God's light. It's not just about getting by. We are enduring in God's light. We hear, we endure, and we live. Thanks be to God. Amen.